Hagen Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, the editor-in-chief of the journal, coming to you today from an early spring but glorious blue sky morning in Vancouver. It's going to be made even brighter by the opportunity to speak with a pair of colleagues from the Netherlands. Kerben Vandermeer and Megan Malata have co-authored a paper that will be coming out in the August 2021 issue of Medical Education entitled Practical Guidelines to Build Sense of Community in Online Medical Education. Kerben is a medical student, final year at UMC Utrecht, and Megan is an assistant professor in the Department of Medical Humanities at the same institution. Thank you both for coming to chat with me today. Glad to be here virtually. Hey. Thank you for your invitation. It's a pleasure. In fact, it's a particular pleasure to learn that this project has arisen from such a strong collaboration between a senior student and a professor who's engaged in various aspects of medical education. So maybe we can start by just asking about how this arose and what opportunities enabled somebody at Herbert's stage of training to get involved in something like this. Yeah, I had to do my research internship in my final year of medical education. So I went to the medical ethics department of the UMC Utrecht. And there, Megan was a teacher and she had a project in one of the elective courses, COVID-19 and society. And they would like to know more about sense of community in medical education. So there it all started. <laughs> Yeah, I want to just add to that, that like I get six to eight internship students a year and I try to look at what am I working on right now? What kind of research am I doing and try to see what the interests are of the students? So Kevin mentioned that he wanted to work on qualitative methodologies, maybe learn a little bit about interviewing or doing focus groups. But I think it's important to point out that he learned all of these skills in order to do the research, which resulted in this publication, which I think is phenomenal in a period of about four months. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, phenomenal and fairly unique. You know, lots of students want to get involved in projects like this, but they're so busy with their actual clinical or other training that carrying it out is difficult, to say the least, let alone doing it so quickly. Do either of you have a sense as to what facilitated this particular project to come to fruition so rapidly? I think on one hand, the fact that we were in a lockdown actually helped facilitate this type of collaboration that we could meet together frequently on Zoom, that Herman was free to think about these methodologies and that the students were also really interested in talking to us about what they were going through. And I think that created an opportunity where you had enough respondents who were interested in telling more about their experiences. Yeah, Megan and I met one time each week and all the participants of the study also were very accessible because they were all at home. Right. One of the unfortunate benefits, I suppose, of the pandemic, that you can trust that people are a bit more available in certain circumstances, at least. But you definitely took advantage of that. And the connections that you just described in terms of the two of you meeting weekly and trying to build something together strikes me as very relevant to the topic of this work. One of you mentioned the phenomenon of sense of community already. And I think, Megan, you said that was something you had an interest that helped to join you. What is that? And why did you think it was such a priority? In the first weeks of the pandemic, all the students were at home studying, but they didn't know each other, especially in the elective course our study focused on COVID-19 and society at our university. Uh, they were not 
that motivated that they would like to be. And as we described also in the paper, Ryan and Daisy's self-determination theory also describes that relatedness and sense of community is very important for studio success and for intrinsic motivation. And first of all, the course arose out of a need, right? So this occurred in the elective block of the second year of the bachelor program at our university. And a lot of the courses that students had signed up to take were no longer possible to provide in an online environment. So the course developers, as Rose de Jonge and Joyce Brown, created this course in a matter of two weeks. They combined a couple of courses that they had been teaching and turned it into this course, which had a lot of great benefits. They could invite people from all around the world to give lectures. They could have students that were usually very busy with internships could come and be student teachers in the program. And they were able to think with us from the beginning about you know how to create a sense of community and talk with their teachers about it and talk with us about it and also have the opportunity to evaluate it. So in some ways, this was almost a one-off. We didn't know what the best practices were, but we had the feeling that the sense of belonging, sense of community, feeling like you belong as part of a group was an essential factor to feeling a sense of success as a student and feeling that sense of belonging with uh, students and teachers. So I think that kind of guided us from the beginning, but in many ways, it was just serendipitous that we were able to look at these things and that we were able to put together the study in what was actually a really short period of time. Well, congratulations on taking advantage of that chance opportunity, because those are particularly hard in moments like this, where there's so much else going on. I'm sure the pressure just to create that course so quickly was almost overwhelming. But I want to take that and transition a little bit methodologically. So when you decided you had this opportunity and wanted to look at it more deeply, you used as part of your study something called experience stories, which isn't a phrase I've heard very often in our field. And so I wonder if you could explain what that is and tell our listeners why it seemed like a good approach for this particular effort. Yeah, we asked the teachers of the lectures to write an experience story about their experience sense of community during their lectures. But more important was the storyline method in our paper. And during the focus group, we asked the students to report on their level of sense of community. And we asked them to draw a line, a graphic, in which they described their sense of community over the past eight weeks of the course. And we asked them a week after completion of the course. And when the line went up in their graph, or sometimes the line went down, then I could ask in a focus group, uh, how come the line went down and the other went up? What's the difference? Can you explain? And so that triggered a nice conversation during the focus groups. You know, obviously with qualitative research methodology, you try to triangulate data if possible. And for us, it was sort of like a a challenge to try to think about how we could bring into all these various perspectives and voices and the focus group method seemed the best suited to getting the teachers and the students perspectives. But we also had lecturers that were just there once that were there to give one lecture of two hours, but we were also interested in their experiences, hence the experience stories, just asking very open-ended questions about, okay, what did you notice while you were teaching? Did you feel a sense of uh, connection to the students? And that provided some really rich extra data to what was already a very rich data source, the interview or the focus group material. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's just some interesting insights as well, in, in that I imagine many programs were concerned about the disconnects that students could feel as things transitioned online. I know certainly ours was, but it's a whole other thing to determine whether or not you can 
actually have a real influence and genuinely deliberately build sense of community. You haven't gone through all those transcripts and experience stories and, and everything else. What would you highlight as the main lessons or findings that make you feel confident that you have advice to offer to others who are worried about this? Yeah, I think most important is the education format. The students described in the focus group that in a setting of a few students, so three to four students, that they experienced most sense of community. And most sense of community was experienced during the final assignment in which they had to work together for many hours, during which they could share their screens and saw each other in Zoom or Teams at the same time. And they reported that they really felt that connection and really worked together. Some students even told that they experienced more sense of community than normally face-to-face because now they could really work together and make one product. Whereas before COVID, everyone did a part of the assignment and they pasted it together. So now they really work together. That surprised me. I think I would add to that in addition, and I think that's really essential, is thinking as educators about the most suitable format for online education. We can't just give our lectures like we used to. It doesn't work. I think all of us have experienced that as well as the receivers of a death by PowerPoint lecture that even when the lecturer is trying to communicate with a chat function or asking questions, it just doesn't work the same as in a live environment. So like Kirbin said, like the small group, working group environments, working together on projects, just re-envisioning how uh, we're going to reach our learning objectives, I think is the most valuable take-home point. But rather than see it as like everybody has to start teaching completely differently, you know, all of our courses we can't use in an online environment. I think what we really tried to do here was provide practical recommendations that anybody can use tomorrow, today. For instance, engaging consciously in informal chit chat at the beginning or the end of a class was extremely valuable to both the teachers and to the students. And those are just small little tips, which you can see in our article, which I think can be used and integrated at various degrees to help improve that sense of community, even when we can't fundamentally redesign the courses that we're giving. On top of that, I think that our framework provides a way of communication with other medical educators when talking about sense of community. So the five teams we described, they can use it to sort their recommendations. And there were a few recommendations present before COVID about sense of community, but there was not an essential framework to talk about those recommendations and practical guidelines. So that actually brings me to one of the things that I found particularly intriguing about this work is that oftentimes people express a disconnect or conflict even between conceptual framing and practical guidelines. And this article seems very deliberately to try to use the development of a conceptual framework to create practical guidelines. Can you, again, tell us a little bit more about how those things interdigitate and what the framework offered your generation of guidelines or vice versa? Now, what I did is that I presented on the practical guidelines to our education board of the UMC Utrecht. And then we had a variable discussion afterwards, also using the conceptual framework. So they could say, yeah, one of our themes was education format. And then they could say something about education format. And I think that made the discussion a lot easier. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's important to note that, that after Kerbin completed his project, he shared this with all of our educators, with our tutors, with the heads of the education department at the UMC Utrecht, with all of the coordinators of the elected courses. So he's reported the findings in a large variety of settings to try to proliferate knowledge about this. But the theory helped inform the direction that we went in. We wanted to look at a sense of community and we were looking at different ideas or theories related to that. But then we really wanted to listen to the voices of the people who we were talking with. And at the end, there were in some ways some really nice matchups, I guess you could say, where a lot of the things we found aligned with various theories. But it wasn't like we were just trying to prove or sensitize a concept or concepts. We were just looking at sense of community in general as a general concept. But how does that actually communicate or how does that resonate with people who are actually taking and teaching courses? It's excellent. And to give people both a broader way of thinking about it and some practical advice, I see as offering them an opportunity to know where to start and additionally, a chance to help them continue to adapt what you've learned to their particular context and think through whether the particular details need to change. So congratulations on achieving that balance. And rather than asking you to read all the practical tips, I think we should leave that as a source of curiosity and direct people to the article itself, because there is some very useful and important practical advice there. And as you said, relevant, hopefully, to educators in a wide variety of contexts. So I certainly encourage people to go read those details. Those who are interested, you'll find them in the August 2021 issue of Medical Education under the paper title, Practical Guidelines to Build Sense of Community in Online Medical Education, and with two of the four authors being Herben Vandermeer and Megan Malata, whose voices you've been listening to during this conversation. Thank you both for taking the time and congratulations on not only this work, but on the internship program that led to it. Thank you. Thank you.